Welcome from the City of Entertainment. You are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. The only show that really gets personal with the stars. Partnered with Casino Player Magazine, a monthly gaming lifestyle publication with over 88,000 paid subscribers nationally, which now features LaFong's syndicated columns and backstage videotaped interviews online. Our website is lasvegasbackstagetalk.com, where the show is currently streaming live. Now, please welcome your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Hey, hey. And on the line, we have America's Got Talent breakout star, comedian Tom Cotter, who is appearing at the Suncoast Showroom February 6th and 7th at 7.30 p.m. And actually, he's returning to the Suncoast Showroom. Isn't that correct, Tom? Like herpes, I'm coming back, yes. (laughs) Well, you know what? We go back so many years. You've always been funny, even before you were runner-up to Olate Dog Act. (laughs) I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm not over it, though. You know? I know, neither am I. I I mean, it's so classic and cliche to lose to a dog act, isn't it? Uh, well, was it W.C. Fields famously said, uh, never follow children or pets on stage. And I made the latter error. And now I'm <laughs> preaching that kind of, uh, you know, everybody keeps making fun of me about it. But it's all right. I'm okay. I was I, I, second place. I, I'm Clay Aiken of the, of the, the world. Clay Aiken did pretty well coming in second. <laughs> well, you know what's great, though, is that... Right now, you've been, uh, you've headlined America's Got Talent Live, and you've also, uh, you did the viewing party of America's Got Talent. What, what about Olate Dogs? What happened to them? Well, uh, I was just, last week, I don't want to brag, but I was working at the Funny Bone in Omaha, Nebraska, and I wish that were a joke, but it's the truth. <laughs> and uh, people asked me, you know, what the dogs were up to, so we Googled it, and the dogs are doing halftime shows at NBA and minor league basketball games. They're doing the big halftime shows. So their audience is, you know, 50,000 people. Uh, and, and That's so pretty I, amazing. They win. That is amazing. They won the entire million-dollar prize because you know it's the winner-take-all prize. So they won the entire million-dollar prize, and they can lick themselves. So they win on every level. <laughs> I'm jealous, that's for sure. As am I. <laughs> So, what have you been up to since the America's Got Talent uh, launching of your career? I mean, has it made such a difference? Uh, tell the it, truth. Yeah, it really has. It's, it, it's the when you do primetime national network television, it's such a different beast than the late night because everybody, all comics now, do Leno, Letterman, you know, Fallon, whatever they are now, Conan O'Brien. Those are so watered down than where they were when it was just Johnny. That's when for Johnny sure. had it, as you know, Michelle, they, they, he'd summon you to the couch and your phone rang off the hook and you were anointed. Mm-hmm. But now everybody does those late night spots and it's such a fraction of the audience you have during prime time. And there's no other place during prime time for a comic to really show his wares except on NBC. Uh, so, you know, I, I did a couple of reality shows on NBC. I did Last Comic Standing also and had a small part on Dateline to Catch a Predator, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> and, uh, but America's Got Talent, it's such a huge audience. Plus, it was the same summer, the Olympics, so NBC had all these viewers that they don't normally have. Plus, it's on against reruns. Then you add in Howard Stern's first time as a judge. So I really got lucky. It was really the perfect storm of viewership, and it 
you know, I thought I would just be flavor of the month for a year or something, but it's been great. We still keep uh, drawing crowds for some reason. So that's fantastic. Uh, I'll take it as long as I can get it. So, are there any other new venues that are open to you now, Tom Cotter? I mean, is there is there anything different? Because let's face it, it is really tough in the comedy business. So many of our venues are gone. That is absolutely true. Uh, I say it's all C's. It's Corporate College Cruise Ship Casino and Comedy Club. And uh, Corp, they pay in that order, too. Corporates have the deepest pockets. Colleges have deep pockets. They have big budgets. And then all the way down to clubs. Clubs don't pay that well. So when you ask for venues, like the Suncoast, I probably would never have done the Suncoast prior to America's Got Talent. So I'm very lucky to do big, bigger rooms, big theaters, things that were not available to me before the show are now available to me. So, again, yet another blessing from that show, and I hate to use the word blessing, that sounds so cliche and trite, but it really, at my age, for that to happen at that point in, that, in my career, was just such a, I stepped in leprechaun poop or something. I got Well, really you deserve it. You deserve it. I mean, you're one of the few comics that I say that to and mean it. <laughs> so well, you're very kind. And Mutual Admiration Society, you're also tremendous. So oh, I, 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 I love being on with you, and thank you for having me, by the way. Well, thank you. And your wife is in the business, Kerry Louise. She's a comedian. And, you know, you understand how difficult it is for women comics, and you know it's not BS. You know that it's very different for women, right? I'm certain of that. You know, before I married Carrie, before I started dating Carrie, I would poo-poo that. Like all the other male comics would be like, yeah, please, male chauvinism, blah, blah, blah. But now I live it through my wife. Exactly. It really is. It's unbelievable how many doors are not open to women than they are to men. And uh, no other case but the Comedy Cellar. There's no hotter club in Manhattan right now than the Comedy Cellar. Booked by a female, who I happen to really love, Esty. But if you count how many women she has on a show, over the course of a night, two shows, she'll have 18 comics. And maybe two of them will be women. And that's just not a representative demographic. There should be, you know, if, if not half, at least a third. It's very unbelievable. I mean, I can't believe this is still going on in 2015, but it is. It's even worse, actually, in some cases. You know, I, yeah, go ahead. The funny bone, as I said, I just did the funny bone in Omaha, Nebraska, and they had the little thing on the table showing you who's coming. No women. There were like, you know, 15 acts over the next two months were going to be there. No women, no, you know, no headlining women. They had a couple of women uh, features and stuff. And there are some very, very funny women out there. There are. Just unfortunately aren't getting. Now, I will say the other side of that is uh, for casting purposes, it's a little better for Carrie because if they're looking for a white male comic, there's 10 billion of us. Yes. But if they're looking for a female comic, that, that pool is much smaller. Uh, and so Carrie you know, will get a few more auditions than, than, you know, a white male comic would, for example. But I'd say overall, that's not worth the trade-off of how many roadblocks are in front of her and friends of mine, Lynn Coplitz, Corey Kahaney, other great comics who just can't get their foot in the door because it's such a sexist business. I, it's hard to believe. And it, it's hard to believe because the women that are gatekeepers are sometimes worse than the men, if not as bad. I concur. You know, I gave you one example, and I love Esty, but I, uh, and I don't know what her, her the method behind her madness is, but uh, I just don't know why they're not having more women. As that. And Colleen, the woman, lovely woman, been in the business for 25 years, books the funny bone. So I, I just don't know what the, their thought process is, but 
uh, you know, Ellen yes. DeGeneres, hysterical. Joan Rivers, hysterical. Yep. Yeah, Rosie, you can keep going. There are so many funny women. Kathleen Madigan is a little below the radar with some people, but uh, for my money, one of the best club comics, male or female, on the planet. But, you know, she headlines <laughs> at the Mirage, so I don't have too much... Uh... Uh, right. I, yeah, I can't put her in that category, but because she's still known and she does get TV exposure and things like that. Whereas, you know, I I really appreciate you talking about this because it's very difficult to bring attention to this because people look at the women that are on television and they go, what are you talking about? Uh, there's no problem here. You know, and I'm not justifying it, but I will tell you this, that it's, it's harder for women, let alone to get in the business, but the parameters within which they have to work on stage. Thank are you. Also thank you. Thank can, you. Yeah. I can get up on stage and talk about my privates, and it's funny. Or if I talk about passing gas, it's funny because it came out of a guy's mouth. If a girl gets up there and does it, I mean, society has these uh, preconceived notions of what a woman should do and shouldn't do. And, it, you know, a woman can't get away with being blue like a guy can because you can automatically you hear the sphincters shut in the room. Everyone gets all uncomfortable. And, you know, half the crowd just completely tunes out. So there's that. Plus, if you're on stage and you're getting laughs, you're in a position of power up there. And men don't like to see women that empowered, I think, or some people don't. Men, right. men and women get uncomfortable with that. So there's a whole psychological dynamic involved, too. But it's really, uh, the, the brass, brass tacks of this whole thing is it really is an unfair and unequal playing field for women in ah. the business. And I'm not sucking up to you because you're a woman. My no, wife. I, I, I really appreciate you, you know, not only knowing about it, but sharing it. Because even a lot of women, they don't want to admit that there's a problem. They think it's best if they just, you know, pretend it's not there and... In a way, I mean, look, I don't live bitching about it, but I see when I see this, like what you're saying, where there's 20 uh, men booked on a bill and there's only two women and the two women are known women on top of it. So they're not even it's not even a fair um, they're not using unknown women. You know, it's yeah. like if you use Wanda Sykes, who I know is a regular over there at the comedy cellar and always has been i you know it's it's not a fair indication oh well they're using a woman <laughs> you know yeah and i'm not throwing the comedy cellar under the bus there's 18 clubs in manhattan i'm just pointing that out me too me too by a woman that's the part that's for the not, record exactly to me. exactly me too i i'm not i'm not doing that either i've actually been told in the past by women and by male bookers oh, oh we don't book women uh, we, we don't, they don't do well. What are you talking about? They don't do well. Does every man do well? Yeah. You know, you never thought you know, you're, that. You're yeah. profiling then. You're not even giving the person a chance. And when you said just a moment ago, they, they're using name names at these clubs. Wanda Sykes, you used as an example. Yes. How do you become a name if you don't get stage time as, as, a, as an unknown? Then you become a known quantity, but you have to first get stage time. And I just see the str struggles my wife and her friends who are comics have just getting stage time. Yes. And it, it really, it's, it's, uh, it it's is awful. Unfair. It's awful. Which is why I started booking uh, myself many years ago, and I specialized in booking women like Joy Behar and, you know, all the uh, Brett Butler and all of those people because nobody gave them a chance. It's, well, it's, good for you. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. But, you know, 
I want to talk about now is the auditions coming up for America's Got Talent here in Vegas next month. They're having an open call here. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, uh, Tom, yes. Uh, so, Tom, it, what advice would you give to anyone auditioning on this open call? Uh, they have to do a minute and a half. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, 90 seconds is just a scary small amount of time. No matter what you're, if you're a juggler, if you're a singer, you know, when you watch the show, people think they're longer, but they're not. If you time it, it's 90 seconds. So when someone sings a song, they're just singing a little tiny portion of that song. And when a juggler's juggling or a magician's doing a trick, they're all abbreviated version. And a comic has to approach it the exact same way. And that is maximum punchlines in the minimum amount of time. You can't and we both know comics that it takes them five minutes to say hello to an audience. Yes, that would be it me, just, actually. It takes yeah. me a long time to, uh, you know, just, if you're a storyteller, it's a problem. Exactly. So the people who've done well, you know, I was very fortunate to do pretty well. But before me, Geechee Guy did well. And Geechee Guy is a one-liner guy. That's correct. And, you know, you just kind of come out, you have to, and I tell everyone, condense all your bits into tiny little, the, the best of. Make it a best of album. And go up there and do it and, and try to cram in as many punchlines as you can in that small amount of time. Because if one of your punchlines falls flat, you immediately can be into the next one. Whereas if you're telling one story, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, it's one 90-second story, and it, it, it doesn't have a huge payoff at the end, then you're kind of screwed. Uh, because you really have to wow them in 90 seconds. Great advice. So even if you're not a one-liner comedian you still need to condense and, and to try to get in as many punchlines as possible. Exactly. Shakespeare famously said, brevity is the soul of wit. You need to be as brief as humanly possible and get as much in there as, as you can. And then uh, there are little tricks, uh, like afterwards, after your 90 seconds, uh, both Taylor uh, and I, Taylor Williamson, uh, went yes. pretty far. The next time we both came in second on the show. And we're the only two comics to do that. And his thing was bantering with the judges. Because after you're done performing, then you stand there with the host, Nick Cannon, and you have a little conversation with the judges. And Taylor, very clever, uh, started flirting with Heidi Klum. And that became very funny. And the audience loved it. And it became a very endearing. So his set was one 90-second chunk. And then he had a whole other 90-second chunk where he was just chatting with the, the judges and making that funny and making himself endearing that way. Uh, so that's another thing you can get to once you get to that point. We're going to take a quick break and we'll have much more of comedian Tom Cotter when we return. And don't forget, Jackie the Joke Man Martling will be joining us later on. We'll be right back. And you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox 
cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today, 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net. The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic. Paradise Nail Bar is a new experience in service and atmosphere for full-service manicure and pedicure services. With two convenient Las Vegas locations, we've expanded to a new facility in southeast Las Vegas, Eastern and Windmill, as well as in Summerlin. Come and enjoy our services at Paradise Nail Bar and Salon, the finest in services for your salon and spa needs. Offering full-service hair salon, manicure and pedicure, massages and spa. At Paradise Nail Bar, we also do many petty parties for special occasions or any other reason you'd like. Have your party here with friends, beverages, and karaoke. Book now online 24-7 at paradisenailbar.com. Welcome back, and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Hey, hey, and we are back with more comedian Tom Cotter, who is, of course, runner-up of NBC's America's Got Talent. Now, did you go on an open call when you first went out for America's Got Talent, Tom? I went to the Javits Center in Manhattan, which was a cattle call, but if you were represented, they had a, uh, a special, you know, if you had an agent or a manager, and at the time I did, you got to go and um, do what they call the cue list, which means you, you don't have to stand out overnight and sleep out on the sidewalk or whatever those people were yes. doing. If you had representation, uh, they could get you in, and you were in. I was in and out in four hours, which is remarkably small. Four hours? Time. Four, yeah, four hours. hours? And that's so what that's, an appointment? I'll tell you what happened. You do, you do an audition for a junior producer in a room. No cameras, no anything. And then that junior producer, male, female, they determine whether or not you're worthy to be uh, looked at again the same day at a callback in front of the executive producer and the NBC executives and the people from Simon Cowell's company, Psycho. And uh, then you perform in front of them, and that's Mount Rushmore. Honest to God, that is just a skit because no one's laughing. They've sat through a million Tell me about it. I know. That's awful. You have have camera people, and they're filming you. And the way I knew I was doing okay, Michelle, was because the camera guys were laughing. Because I knew the, the executives had seen it all. They were they were analyzing you. They weren't really going to laugh. It's awful. But the camera awful. guys were laughing, and then I said, "Well, I'm, I'm, at least I'm not dying up here." And then then after that second audition, then they leave you in limbo, and then they'll call you and say, "We'd like you to go up in front of the celebrity judges." And everyone at home thinks that's your first audition, when in fact, it, for me, it was my third. Really? See, my first one was in front of Simon. Um, you know, they put me immediately in his room, you know, but I felt like it's on purpose that they just sit there stoically, even before I said a word, the arms are crossed, it, the, the body language is combative. It's almost yeah. like, you know, it, 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 it looked like, am I, are you punking me? You know, like, yeah. you know, like you're not, they didn't look like they wanted to like you. Yes, and they, you know it's like the old game show, Make Me Laugh. Uh, like there's money on the line if they don't laugh. So, it, it, so there's that. I'll tell you, later on, 
they had to do the thing called the Vegas Round. Last year they called it Comedy Boot Camp because they wanted to stay in New York. But our year, they take everyone to Las Vegas for a week. And that's when they really thin the herd. And they get it down to like the 150 acts that are going to go on all the way through the summer. And in the Vegas Round, they go out of their way to make it difficult for you. They, they're told beforehand, the judges, not to laugh not for comics, not to smile at first. That's uh, what I thought. Have any reaction at all. And the, the theater is empty. So you're performing in front of an empty theater and just judges. And the genius behind that is they can cut it any way they want because that's pre-recorded. It's not live. So they can edit it any way they want and make it look like you did better or worse than you did. <laughs> that's once brilliant. Once they get to the live shows, then you can't fool America on a live TV. I mean, you know, it's, it's live. But before that, they can, like, like Last Comic Standing does, editing can manipulate things any way they want. And reality is never reality on television. And you know that. that well, I know it. But our listeners don't all know it. So please give us insight as much as you can as to what goes on on these uh, on these reality shows. Well, I, you don't want to get me started on Last Comic Standing, which I was on season two, and that season they called it Last Client Standing because the producers were also managers, and they managed seven of the ten people that went into the house. So that was a farce from the get-go, and that show was always pre-recorded. And so they could manipulate every single episode with editing. And they did. And in some episodes, they literally inserted the sound of crickets behind comics. Clearly, there were no crickets in the comedy (laughs) club. But they did that to humiliate them. And I thought that was horrible. Uh, They didn't do it to me, thank God. Uh, But they did it to a couple of friends of mine. And that's just mean. And then uh, we saw the night in Vegas at the Paris where they had, when they went from 20 comics down to 10. And at that episode, uh, Dan Natterman got a huge standing ovation. And a guy named Monty Hoffman got a big standing ovation. And then two comics were booed off stage. And when they finally made the announcement, the two guys who got standing ovations did not make it into the house. And the two people who got booed off the stage did go into the house. And at that point, the three celebrity judges got up and walked out, and half the audience got up and walked out. And they barely even addressed it on the television show. And that's when Peter Engel got up there, who was one of the producers, and said, well, you didn't read the fine print. It says that the final decisions are made by NBC executives and the producers of the television show. And Drew Carey went and got interviewed by Entertainment Weekly and said, well, why did you have me there then if I was just eye candy? I thought Dan Natterman was the funniest guy there, and he really did. He was pounding the table and crying. He was laughing so hard. And then he didn't make it in, yet two people who got booed off the stage made it into the house. So say you're casting a show. Don't say these are the best ten comics in the country. Say we're casting, we'd like a gay comic, we'd like a Hispanic comic, we'd like a white comic, we'd like a, a female comic. Say that. Don't, don't. America. Don't pull the wool over America's eyes. And uh, even on America's Got Talent, the way they can manipulate that is where they put you in the order of the show. There's, let's say, 15 acts on a show. If you're on towards the end of the show, you have an advantage because voting doesn't open until the end of the show. That's correct. You're number one or number two. They've already forgotten about you by the time you're the eighth act, the ninth act has gone on. So if you're 12, 13, 14, 15, then you have a much better chance of being fresh in the voters' minds, and then they're going to vote for you. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, you're right. There's so many things that factor in. There's things that, little tricks that you can do that even the way the judges, um, you know, manipulate, you know, they can, they can help somebody or not help somebody. That will definitely hurt them. That's for sure. Abs- that is absolutely true. And, and people follow in lockstep behind the judge they love. Like the people who love Sharon Osbourne my year all voted for the dogs, no question about it. Right. And Howie Mandel was kind of middle of the road, and Howard Stern was in my corner. So I had, thank God, I had all Stern's people voting for me. And th- that means, you know, when they annoy you or when they say nice things about you, that really affects the listener 
the home watcher's uh, mind when they make their decision. I agree. I agree with you. I would. Do you think that right now, where the judges are right now, that Howard Stern would be the most influential of them all? Uh, that you'd want to have him behind you out of all the judges? Well, I, I'm selfish in the sense that he was my guy. You know, every judge at the end kind of hooks their wagon to whichever act they want. And he was very nice to me, and he supported me. So I think he's. Uh, and this isn't just because he supported me. I really think he's the voice of reason on that show, on all these shows. But I mean, as far as power. That, that, that you think, well, that person really gets it. Because Howie Mandel, God bless him, hysterically funny guy. I think he walks on water in the comedy world. But every year, he wants to put forth a silly act. You know, at my year, it was a guy named Big Barry, who yeah. couldn't sing to save his life. I remember him. Like, yeah. And, and, but he was kind of comical, and it was a weird act. And Sharon and Howard were like, you're kidding me, because you're eliminating a great act, someone who really can sing, someone who really has a future, because you want to put forth this silly act that's not going to go anywhere. And uh, every year he does it. And I'm sure it creates drama and, the, the, you know, it makes people talk, have something to talk about. But Howard Stern, I think, calls a spade a spade. He always gets up there and he says, you're not a million-dollar act. Uh, and and it's true. I right. agree with him ninety nine point nine percent of the time. But I mean, as far as more influential will get you more votes, do you think it's Stern that is the judge to impress? I think so. Yeah, I think he's taken over. I know for a fact he gets paid more than the other judges. Right. So, so I would say, yeah, he probably has more followers and uh, more people who will listen to him. So yeah, I yeah. don't think Mel B. I don't think has as much influence on the voting populace as. Howard Stern. What I find funny, Michelle, is that Howard is the only American, because Heidi Klum is a German, Mel B is British, and, and Howie Mandel is Canadian, and it's America's Got Talent. So only one of the four judges... That's Howie very is. interesting. I always thought it was two, but you're right. Howie is Canadian. I didn't even think of that. But I don't think that Canadian, being Canadian, uh, influences things, but I do think it's an unfair advantage... Uh, disadvantage. It's an unfair disadvantage to comedians to be up in front of English judges because the sense of humor in in Great Britain, you know, is different. It's just you are so smart and so on top of that, and that is exactly why I waited until season seven. Because from the get go, everyone said, "Cotter, you got to go on the show. Your your act is perfect for it because you're kind of ADD and you're very rapid fire, and so the format fits your act." Yes. And I wouldn't do it because Pierce Morgan was sitting in the judge that Howard Stern sits in now, and every year Pierce Morgan would eviscerate the comedians. He would say, "You're not funny. I didn't laugh once. You're not original." <laughs> and I was damned if I was going to let him do that to me in front of 20 million viewers. So every year people said, "You got to audition," and I never auditioned because I just didn't want him verbally defecating on me in front of the world. But once he left and Howard got in that chair, that's when I said, well, I'm finally going to go for it. Because now I had Howie Mandel, Howard Stern, and Sharon Osbourne, who's married to the Prince of Darkness. And that's a nice little uh, table of judging for a comic. I think that if you can't have it set up any better, I think I had it easier now than they do than they do now, rather. I think I Sharon Osbourne has a much better sense of humor than Heidi Klum, yes. who doesn't get half the jokes. I agree. Not just... Not because she's blonde, but because she's German, and there's right. a language barrier there. And Mel B has that British thing that uh, just doesn't carry, whereas Sharon had been Americanized so much 
that she really got it. Yes. It was easier for my year than I think, because again, I had an unfair advantage. Yes, and I think it's very unfair to comedians across the board uh, to have to be in front of judges that come from, they, it is America's Got Talent, and it should be American sensibility in, in terms of judging you for comics. Yep. It's, it's unfair. It's unfair. You wouldn't have, been, you know, the outrage that, that people shared with me that a dog act won my year, uh, not that I came in second, but just that a dog act won it, uh, was, was loud. But, I mean, even worse, the next year, a Japanese citizen won it, a guy named Kenichi, yes. who's an unbelievable dancer. I mean, the best dancer I think I've ever seen in my life, and he certainly deserved to win the show. But the outrage from middle America that a Japanese citizen won America's Got Talent was unbelievable. I mean, it was epic. So, uh, you know, Interesting. talent's talent. Who cares? You know what? We are so over our time, but I do have to ask you anyway, because I do have a lot of friends who are auditioning for America's Got Talent who are going to be listening to this show. How many minute and a half sets do you need to have in your arsenal before you audition just to have the advantage? In other words, how many sets does it take to win? Uh, well, you know what? That's another... Uh bonus to the show is I blew maybe seven and a half minutes worth of material in the entire season. And we started in March and we ended in September. And I only blew seven and a half minutes worth of material. But do you know how many sets that translates into? Yeah, they didn't ask me to do this, but I did it and I told other comics after me to do this. I prepared three or four sets of 90 seconds each. That is I that enough? Hard hitting. Yeah, that was enough until the end of, you know, then I had to put one together once I didn't think I'd make it out of the quarterfinals. So after the quarterfinals, you had the semifinals and the finals. So I had to come up with stuff for those two, but I had, because you have to have them prepared in advance and have the censors, the people's standards and practices at NBC have to go through them and approve them and, you know, edit out a joke they think might be off color or, or might ruffle some feathers, which they only did once with me. But, you know, you had to have them prepared and locked and loaded. What was the and, joke? Uh, what was the joke, Tom? Do you remember that? that yeah, they... I said uh, that the one they wouldn't let me get away with was I was on a plane recently and I was dressed to kill. I had a turban, a beard, exploding sandals. And they kept trying to rewrite the joke for me, Michelle. They kept saying, uh, I was dressed like a genie. Uh, no, that wasn't funny. Uh, I was a cab driver in New York City. No, not funny. So every time they tried to rewrite it, I'm like, thank you, but no, I'm just going to get rid of the joke. <laughs> Very wise decision. Tom Cotter, thank you so, so much. We could talk to you forever because you are such an interesting interview every single time. You're, you're just foolproof. Thank you again. And don't and forget. And I love chatting with you. And, and I, let me interrupt for a second. Sure. You said I'm there the 7th and, and uh, the 6th and 7th. It's actually just the 6th. The seventh, uh, we're we're not there. Henry Cho is at. Uh, oh, you're correct. Yes, yeah, I, I had apologize. to back out of the second one for a corporate, but I am there the Friday night, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that's a great room, a great crowd, and I promise your listeners they will laugh. If I have to follow them out and tickle them in the lobby, I will, but they will laugh. <laughs> and I can attest to that, Tom Cotter. You've always been a killer act, and I love it because you're such rapid fire comedy, and you know your material is as good as it gets, as far as I'm. Concerned concerned. So don't forget to catch him February, which one? Sixth or seventh? Which just, one? just the sixth. The now, sixth. We're not there the seventh. We had to pull out of that one. We're going to take a quick break and we'll have much more of comedian Tom Cotter when we return. And don't forget, Jackie the Joke Man Martling will be joining us later on. 
We'll be right back. And you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. How would you like to create a whole new you? That's right. That person you see in the mirror every day, well, you can change how you look and how you feel about yourself by calling Hairworks by Janice Fusaro. Janice Fusaro is the Maserati of hair extension with over 20 years of experience and is the best of Las Vegas, specializing in great lengths and is certified by all the top hair extension companies. And feathers are available. Whether it's making your hair longer or thicker, Janice can make your dreams come true. Go to longhairextensions.net and see the before and afters. And then pick up the phone and make an appointment for your free, that's right, free consultation. Call 702-326-6564. It's a whole new you with Hairworks by Janice Fasaro. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox cosmetic wrinkle filters spider veins laser skin technology anti-aging wellness and medical weight loss at horizon ridge wellness clinic we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world call today 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic Welcome back and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong Hey, hey, and we are back with more comedian Tom Cotter Out of, okay, so you, you had like four sets prepared ahead of time um, is there certain, uh, is there any kind of jokes that you think are not good to do? And you were, you mentioned the turban thing, but you know, I, anything else that you think don't, uh, it's not as good a, a bet to do those? Uh- Again, harder for now than it was for me because they all got it. Sharon, Howie, and Howard got my material, and I could be a little bluer. And they actually asked me to be edgy uh, because they and they said, "Don't worry, we'll pull you back if you get too edgy." But you know, we're we're trying to keep Howard's fans uh, interested as well. Oh. So so, but now I don't think Mel B and Heidi get all the jokes. So you have to take that into consideration and do stuff that's that's very mainstream because you're talking to little kids all the way up to their great-grandparents. That's the swath of humanity that watches that show. So you can't just gear your stuff to married couples or to kids. It has to be everybody. And so that, that, therein lies the challenge. So uh, you just formulate jokes that you think will hit everybody. Now, maybe not every single joke, but in a 90-second uh, chunk, you know, the married couple's going to laugh. The old people are going to laugh. The kids will get this one. And put that into 90 seconds. You know, edit it down with very little pauses, no ums, no ands, just uh, 
fire your best stuff out there and and dress nicely. They're going to have a wardrobe guy for you. It'll look, you know, you'll be on. They'll dress you, and you'll look great. And just be nice when you talk to the judges afterwards. That's another um, little trick of the trade that uh, that I used a little bit, but Taylor really used to his advantage. Right. Well, that's that's great advice. So, it, and when you're doing your um, your one and a half minute sets, did you have to go to clubs to work it out? And if you did, I did. how do you how do you do a minute and a half in the middle of a show? Well, I did uh, because in the semifinals, I did a thing called Comedy on Demand, where I had eight topics on a board behind me on the stage, and Howard or Howie actually picked the topic. So what? I to... What? I don't remember this. Yeah, that was the semifinals. That's uh, that, that's uh, I did. I called it Comedy on Demand, and so uh, I had eight topics up on the board, so I had to prepare eight sets at the for the semifinals of of ninety seconds each, and then whatever one the judge picked, I had to go off on, and he chose college, and I had ninety second chunk just on college. And it worked out wonderfully. It could have worked out horribly. I rolled dice on that one, but it, I ended up getting lucky, and it worked out well. But, uh, yeah, so I prepared eight sets, had to have them in the semifinals, all approved by standards and practices, and then uh, we just were off to the races when, when, uh, when he came out and called it. And Howard didn't believe it, and he made me repeat another joke from another topic because he thought it was a setup, and that let me do another joke. So I, I had a little advantage of getting in more than 90 seconds. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, the clubs were very cool. I would go up on stage with a big cardboard thing with all the topics, and I would practice it. And I'd put it on a chair behind me, and I'd say, pick a topic. And then someone in the audience would pick a topic, and I'd uh, rattle it off. And then I had so much free time. The show was filmed in New York, so I had all my weekdays open, and the clubs were very nice to me. So I would do three, four sets a night going from club to club, and I really could figure out which sets were doing better and which were, you know, what joke within a set was not doing well because I recorded them all. And uh, it was a lot of hard work, but, you know, in the end, you want the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So uh, I wasn't getting any younger, so I didn't mind putting in the work. So you think the average person, uh, if they prepare four sets, is enough to win the whole thing? No, four, you know, I, I did four because I didn't have any aspirations of getting past the quarterfinals. Oh, no, I, I mean to win the whole thing. How many sets yeah. do you think they need to have uh, in their arsenal? Minute and a half killer sets. How many? Uh, well, let's do it in our heads right now. You have your opening audition before you even meet the celebrity judges. Now, I chose the same material that I did for the producers that I did for the celebrity sure, judges. Sure, why not? They said it's fine. If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that was one set. Then the Vegas set, which now they call boot camp, but that's where they really thin the herd. That was another set. Then the quarterfinals was another set. So now you're three sets of 90 seconds each so far. Right. And the semifinals is a fourth set. Then the finals is a fifth set. And so you're only doing five sets total of 90 seconds. And the rest of it is backstory on you and, you know, what you're like at home. And all, you know, they follow you around with the camera crew. And the other part of it is your banter with the crowd. And the only other time I performed was when they did the duet thing. And I did a roast with um, uh, Joan Rivers of the judges. And... You know, Joan did half of that, so uh, that was that was easy. Now that was longer than ninety seconds. That was like seven minutes. But we we you know bantered off each other and uh, she on them, then I on them, and uh, it was um, you can yeah. Okay, so wait a minute. So let me just get this straight. We're up to how many sets of minute and a half? Five. Five ninety second sets. You have the uh, your opening for the celebrity judges. The Vegas round is number two. The quarterfinals is number three. The semifinals is number four. The finals is number five. And would you say to blow out your best stuff as you're going, if it's not all equal, would you would you put your best foot forward every single time and worry about it later, or would you say? I 
Michelle, I asked everybody, and honest to God, it was right down the middle. Some people said, why would you leave bullets in the chamber when you could get eliminated? Don't leave anything, you know, so use your best stuff first. And then other people said, no, you need something at the end. You've already set the bar here. You've got to go above the bar. So What's your I, feeling? You never knew, you know, I, I, uh, you don't really know what's going to hit. Uh, so I, I obviously, this, the, the seven and a half minutes I chose, which is what that is, that's five times 90 seconds. Is seven and a half minutes. That's all you're going to do on TV. Of those seven and a half minutes, um, I think I spread it out pretty equally. I think my best set was the Vegas round, where there was no one in the audience and it was just the judges. And that was the set that you know I may have saved to the end. That was about relationships, and I did that the second time I was on stage in front of them because I, I was like, I may not be here tomorrow. Why am I not going to do that set? And then later on, yeah. I had less stuff to choose from, but I was still okay with what I had to choose from. So that relationship set that you did in front of the judges, why didn't you just do that in front of uh, the audience for your next set? Because they had already seen it. And they I didn't did? want the judges to say, we've seen that. Oh, oh, you mean you didn't want to repeat no. it in front of the judges? No. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and again, the judges have a whole lot of influence on the voters. So... Um, I didn't want to, uh, I wanted them to laugh. I think audience can tell when the judges are laughing if it's sincere. And if they've already heard it, they're not going to laugh as hard. And when the camera zooms in on them, they're going to have a face like, ah, that's funny, but I've heard it before. Do they give you a lot of advice, the judges? Like if you go to them, uh, you know, off camera and you say, "Do do you think I should use any of, would you hold it against me if I use some of the same material that I did in front of you guys when it was just the judges? Would they answer you? It's funny that you say that. We weren't allowed to speak to them. The only time I ever spoke to all three judges was on television when the cameras were rolling. When they came into the building, we had to scurry. They like, you know, the, the handlers would push us into rooms and they'd come in with their entourages, and occasionally Howie Mandel would poke his head into the green room or the holding room where we all were and say, good luck tonight, that's the only thing we could ever do. And then after the final episode, all three judges came up to me and said, you know, nice things, and then they said, we really wanted to talk to you, we thought you were great, very blah, 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 you know, this, that, and the other thing. And they, they, all three of them said, we wish we could have talked to you guys during the show, but they didn't want it to look like there was any impropriety or any nepotism or any kind of, you know, um, sure. uh, so that's why they didn't uh, they were very cognizant of that so and and I just heard an interview with one of the judges from American Idol and he said the same thing he said you know I can't talk to these kids until they're eliminated then I can sit them down when I'm talking to them on TV I have 30 seconds to give them advice and in 30 seconds I can't give them all the advice they need so once they're eliminated then I can have these long conversations with them and I do but that's the way the judges are on AGT as well now here's something that I I was wondering about because I was always under the impression that you signed a mountain of paperwork when you auditioned for America's Got Talent. And then uh, the top, like the finalists, are owned by America's Got Talent for the next five years. Is that true or no? Well, it is if you're the winner. The winner is definitely owned. You are their bitch. There's no question about it. And there's someone just forwarded me an article about Idol. There's a guy, it's the first time in the history of the show, this guy who won it is suing the hell out of the production company. But he doesn't have a whole lot of legal land to stand, ground to stand on because he did sign all this voluminous paperwork saying, I completely understand that you own me if I, um, if I do this. Now, these contracts are designed for the guy who plays banjo in his basement in front of his family, who's an unknown. Mm-hmm. I, came, I came into this having been in the business for 25 years, and I had done some stuff on TV before, so they couldn't really say they made me. They could say that they took my, my uh, career from you know point A to point B and, and elevated it tremendously, which they did, but they couldn't say that they made me. Gotcha. And so 
uh, you know, we hemmed and hawed at some of the stuff, but they said we're not going to change anything. But then they also whispered to me, don't worry, we've never had a comic make it to the finals. You're probably not going to make it to the finals. <laughs> to the finals, they said, don't worry, we've never had a comic, so we don't even know how to capitalize on this. Because it's Simon Cowell's company. Yes. All he does is produce musicians and singers. And so he didn't know what to do with me, and he didn't know what to do with Taylor the year after me. Because, you know, they, all they made us do was do the live show, which you saw in Vegas. They owned us. And we couldn't fight that, and we did it for four months, twice, you know, two months in the fall and two months in the spring, and that was it. Once I was done with them, um, you know, if you become Terry Fader, maybe they can come back with a contract and say, well, you see in this fine print that uh, we now own 10% of your big, you know, show. But they've never approached me about anything. Interesting. That's very interesting. So they're not as interested in us comics as they are uh, the music acts. Yeah, and this last year was a, a, uh, a magician, and the year before that was a dancer, and I just don't know how much uh, control they have of them other than the live show. They make you do the live show, so they get the strike while they iron thought, not you. So I can't tell you how many great gigs, corporates and stuff, we turned down during that time that I was an indentured servant to them because I had signed those contracts. But I also was shooting a pilot with them. Uh, with the same company, Fremantle, um, that produces the show, and I didn't want to piss them off. And the pilot went nowhere. It crashed and burned. But I was in bed with them on the TV side, so I was willing to do whatever they wanted and, um, you know, be play Mr. Nice Guy and everything. And they let me out for a couple of uh, corporates that I wanted to do. And, uh, really? They worked with me a little bit, but not a lot. Well, th that's great. Is there any other advice that you can think of uh, that... Do it. I, I say absolutely do this. You'll never get the amount of eyeballs on you uh, that you will in this. So if anyone says, ah, I don't know, if I, I say just do it. Audition for the show. You know, put all those negative thoughts in the background uh, and hope you make it. And if you don't make it, know that there's a lot of bullshit involved in this and they really are casting a show. They really are. They can't have five of the same act. They can't have five short white male comics. So there were guys that they had to choose between me and a couple other guys my year, and they didn't make it, and they could have been just as good and gone just as far, but they got eliminated in the Vegas round because it wasn't the demographic they were looking for. My year, two comics made it out of Vegas. It was the youngest kid, the neophyte, and me, who had been doing it for 25 years, so I was kind of the seasoned uh, old-timer of the group, and that's the dynamic they chose to go with because they liked the backstory there. But does, they could have gone any other way. Does the know? show and, give you advice? Does anyone on the show give you advice? Uh, no. They really don't. They got pissed at me once because I prepared and rehearsed one set, and then I lost confidence in it. And then that night during the live show, I chose a completely different set. Now, it was one of the other sets that they had already approved, but they still had an aneurysm. Sure. The only time they got mad at me, and they said, you know, you can't do that again. And the producer came up and said, I was okay with it, but my director was freaking out because during the rehearsal, he knew when to shoot you up, up close, when to back off when you were going to gesticulate and you did a different set and we didn't know how to film you. And it was, uh, you know, he was panicking, which made me panic. And please don't ever do that again. And I said, that's absolutely fine. I promise I won't. But I had to do that for me because, you know, I had to, I had to do what made me feel the most confident at the time. And other than that, they, they gave me no advice and told me nothing. They just said that one joke they eliminated because they thought it would ruffle some feathers, which they were probably right. And uh, that was it. Interesting. Well, thank you so, so much for that, too. And we're going to be using this also, because uh, I, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in this. Very, very uh, candid. Any other way I can help, let me know, and I'm, I'm more than happy to. And I love chatting with you. Same here. There. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Farewell, Michelle. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, Jackie the Joke Man Martling is joining us. 
We'll be right back. And you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. How would you like to create a whole new you? That's right. That person you see in the mirror every day, well, you can change how you look and how you feel about yourself by calling Hairworks by Janice Fusaro. Janice Fusaro is the Maserati of hair extension with over 20 years of experience and is the best of Las Vegas, specializing in great lengths and is certified by all the top hair extension companies. And feathers are available. Whether it's making your hair longer or thicker, Janice can make your dreams come true. Go to longhairextensions.net and see the before and afters. And then pick up the phone and make an appointment for your free, that's right, free consultation. Call 702-326-6564. It's a whole new you with Hairworks by Janice Fasaro. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox. Cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today, 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic Welcome back and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong Hey, hey! And another thanks to comedian Tom Cotter What great tips he gave on America's Got Talent to audition And now we have Returning to Las Vegas Backstage Talk, Jackie the Joke Man, Martling. Hey! Hey, Michelle, how are you? This is exciting, Jackie. I gotta say, you're at the South Point with a great show this weekend, February 6th and 7th, Super Bowl weekend, I might say. No, you're absolutely wrong. It's January 30th and 31st. I don't know what calendar you're looking at. You know what? You're totally right. I am... I am... At the wrong calendar. You're you're absolutely, and it's Super Bowl weekend. Yes, it's January. Stuttering John Melendez from the Stern Show, and the headliner is Bobby Slayton, a dear old friend, movie star, funny guy. I've known him for thirty years. He's one of the greatest. You're absolutely right. What a killer lineup this is. This is exciting. I, you know, there's not a whole lot going on this weekend other than that show, as far as I'm concerned. Well, there is now. You know, we're going to have a show on Friday and Saturday, 7.30 each night. It should really kick ass. And we'll be hanging out afterwards with all the fans and, you know, signing autographs and taking pictures and the whole thing. I'm really excited. I was here a couple months ago, and it was just the greatest, greatest time. Uh, Michael Libinati, who runs the joint, he loves us and he loves comedy and he's really good 
And my friend Phil Iazetta from uh, Comedy 24-7 on iHeartRadio put this whole thing together. He's, uh, you know, just some great, great people out here. And I love coming back to Las Vegas since the show was so fun last time, you know? Well, you've been in the business forever. Guess who's in town over at the Riviera? My friend Richie Minavini. That's... I'm going to see him tonight. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so funny. So yeah, that was that, well, you know, when I was really big time in the mid nineties, I used to sell out the top of the Riv when the Stern show was at its height. And uh the Riviera was just just so much fun. You know, I used to get booked there by Steve Sharippa, who became uh, Bobby Bag of Donuts on the Sopranos. That's you know, right. back a long ways, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it, you know, this is gonna be a lot of fun because we all I remember you back in the days at East Side Comedy Club. Oh hell yeah. Great fun. Great. Yeah, my goodness. Everybody's so, been posting all kinds of pictures, and, you know, uh, that's another reason for people to follow me, because every once in a while I throw up pictures from a long time ago. I had a great picture of me and Rob Bartlett and Eddie Murphy on stage at the Eastside Comedy Club, and I tweeted it out, and everybody went nuts, you know, because it was such a fun picture, like from 1980, you know? Wow. Those were the days of comedy. Wasn't that the best time? Well, it was fun, but we're still having fun. Come on. Yeah, we're still having fun, but it's just a different, it's different. Well, yeah, well, we were all scraping and struggling and trying to get ahead, and it was really fun, you know? Yes. It was, just, it was just, nobody knew what was coming next, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So what have you been up to lately, uh, Jackie the Joke Man? I went on Anthony Camille's podcast, and he liked it, and then I did a test show, and it looks like I'm going to be getting my own show on his channel. And uh, I actually no kidding. Just, I'm playing a... a, a, a like, I guess I mean, I'm in charge of a tour for a traveling disco tour in a new movie coming out called Disco. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, filming at the end of this month. And uh, it, it's wow. another Fred Carpenter movie. It should be great. I was in a movie uh, called Send No Flowers with Sean Young. And that, you know, that came out about six months ago, and everybody liked that. You know, was a, I was a mobster. You know, great fun. That's I, fantastic. Stuff. It's still doing my gigs around. You know, I'm doing, uh, actually, on Long Island on February 21st at McGuire's. And then, um, I'm, what else I got? I got all kinds of silly So I'm going to Atlanta for a big charity thing in March. You know, yeah, I'm just popping around and enjoying myself. And when I'm not traveling, I'm living on the beach in Bayville with my lovely girlfriend and really enjoying life, you know? Wow. Wow. I can't top that, you know? Well, you know, I still got my city apartment, so we're in the city when we need to be and doing fun stuff, you know. You know, I'm like one of those men about town with no reason to be there, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So, now, if you had to describe your act... Because you're, you're out of your mind. You do know that, just, right? Joke after joke after joke after joke. If it you is. like it... jokes, I'm the best act in the world. If you don't like dirty jokes, you shouldn't come see Jackie the Joke Man. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you tallied up how long you've been doing comedy? Uh, since 19... I call 1979 my beginning, but I was telling jokes my whole life before that, you know? Well, I do you count that or do you not count that? You should count professionally. I over 30 years? Oh, geez, yeah, 36. 36. 36 as a stand up and another uh, you know, another 8 as a musician. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I've been at this for a long time. What were you doing as a musician? Uh, you know, I had a I had a band and we played all over Long Island for the entire 70s. Oh, yeah, I'll send you a copy of my music CD. You'll get a kick out of it. How come you don't put music in your show, like it, do parodies and stuff? It, it took me 
me long enough to get the music out of my show. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Why did you want the music out of your show? Because no, I wanted of... to tell my jokes and do stand-up. You know, the, for the first year, I had a ponytail and had my guitar on. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When I met Rodney Dangerfield, I had a ponytail. He couldn't believe it. What's with the hair? What the hell's with the hair? <laughs> <laughs> so you you were doing, were you doing parodies and talking, doing jokes in between? Yeah, we had a three-piece band and we told jokes and had just a, a riot. We were called the Off Hour Rockers and we traveled around Long Island in a big yellow Cadillac hearse. A 1955 Hearst Yeah, We were infamous long before I got near Howard Stern. You know, I've been around a while, babe. Jeez, <laughs> I'll say. And you know what? I, went, I circled back around and about seven or eight years ago actually finally made a music CD. I got to send you a copy of it. People love it. And one of the songs from it was my theme song on my radio show for eight years. That's that's just awesome. I, I see what you find out sooner or later. The truth comes out. Jackie the Joke Man has been in show business his whole life practically. So did you ever have a day job? Uh, for four months in Colorado, I was a form setter, a concrete form setter. And that's all it took for me to know I was never, ever, ever, ever <laughs> going to do that again. And the guy who taught me guitar in high school was coming through Denver. And he said, let's, you know, let's go back to New York and make music. And I said, okay. And that was in 1973. And I came home and uh, I've been at it ever since. Well, well, one day I'm going to get you to bring out your guitar uh, and do some uh, parody, just even a minute. I just want to see it. Just well, the because. next time I see you, you know, I'll do something on, on uh, you know, on the internet, on, on the iPhone or something, and send it on to you. You'll get a kick out of it. I will. I definitely will. I love that stuff. That's great. Hey, and did you, do you know how to go into Dropbox? Yes, of course. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a link to Dropbox to me playing live at Sam Ash in uh, New York about six months ago. You'll get a kick out of it. I absolutely will. Thank you so much. And we are out of time, but catch Jackie the Joke Man Martling together with uh, the, the stuttering John and, and headliner. Comedy, Bobby Slayton, That's right. Please follow me on Twitter at Jackie Marling, J-A-C-K-I-E-M-A-R-T-L-I-N-G. The jokes every day are dirty, filthy, funny, clean. <laughs> They're all kind of different stuff, Michelle, and I appreciate you. Fifth, and I appreciate you too. And that's our show, people. Don't forget, go to the Sun Coast this weekend. Take care, Jackie. Thank you so, so much. And I'll see you later tonight at uh, Richie's show. All right. Thank you, honey. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. And that's it for this week. And we'll see you next time. You have been listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFon, where you can listen in on those inside conversations and backstage stories with the stars that make Las Vegas the entertainment capital of the world. We are streaming live every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Audio of past shows are archived on LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Videos of backstage interviews are also on LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. And we are available on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk.